We are launching this new study uh, in our home groups uh, this semester uh, where we're doing a Bible study method called the SWORD Bible study method. And uh, we're getting together as community groups in, in our homes and, and we're having discussions about, hey, what have you heard from the text that we use this method uh, in the last week? And uh, because of ice apocalypse, kind of we all got delayed a little bit. And so this past Wednesday night uh, was the first week I got to sit with my community group uh, that I'm a part of and, and, and got to hear from everybody. And, and here's the thing that's important is, is it's not a competition but our group is better than yours. Um, and, and I say that because I actually got to sit in that circle and hear the insights from the scripture that the Holy Spirit spoke to uh, the, the men and women I get to be in a group with. It, it was an awesome thing. Um, I, w- I was so encouraged uh, last Wednesday night to hear how the word of God w- was speaking to my friends. And and if you're not a part of this journey with us, the, the whole point of the sword method is the point. You know, sword is pretty pointless if it doesn't have a point, right? And that's, a, that's called a billy club, right? That's, that's not a sword. And so the point of every single scripture is what does this reveal about the God of the Bible? The Bible's not revealing itself. It's revealing the God who spoke it. And Interestingly, um, as I was preparing for this morning's text, that's basically what we're doing with the text this morning, is saying, what does this story tell us about God? I didn't necessarily realize that that was going to line up that way and kind of landed on it. I'm like, hey, we're kind of doing the sword method this morning. So anyways, uh, this morning I want us to pull five observations uh, from this narrative about what we learn, not about what God did in the life of Paul. That's a good thing to learn. I want to learn about who God is. Because the reality is what we're seeing is not just what God did, it's, it's who he is in every generation and in the life of every follower of, of God. And so uh, I want to kind of pull these away. Here's the interesting, uh, there's five observations and they all start with the same letter. So we're, we're good Baptists alliterated this morning and I'm wearing a tie. So like the way I was raised, I get three extra brownie points with Jesus this morning for both wearing a tie and having alliterated points this morning. Anyways, um, so grab your Bible, if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, to our guests today, we would say uh, that we have a tradition here. We hold up our Bibles and say a creed together before we jump in. And uh, so if that's where you're at in your spiritual journey, then we would invite you to join us in our tradition this morning as we hold up our Bibles and as we say this with some confidence this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Acts chapter 22. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 876. Acts chapter 22. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground this morning, although we're not going to read a ton of it because we're going to cover so much ground. I'd encourage you, like I did last week, to go back and reread this on your own. Uh, we're kind of picking up speed because uh, Luke is now traveling with Paul, right? So he's he's actually watching all of this. So I feel like the notes he was taking just got a little thorough, <laughs> like a little over detailed here. And so it almost feels like the pace of the book of Acts sort of slows down as we get to these final chapters. And so uh, we're, we're going to cover a good bit of territory. We are in week 39 of this study through the book of Acts. Some of you think we're in week 89. Um 
We're in week number 39 now of this study, and uh, we're getting awfully close to to the end of this book. Um, we're really going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Where we left off last week is the Apostle Paul really wanted to get to Jerusalem, finally gets to Jerusalem, finds out, man, there's a bunch of people who've placed their faith in Jesus, but they still are really holding to the law, uh, to, to the legalism of the law. And, and they, James, the, the little brother of Jesus is like, Paul, here's the deal. Let's make peace with these folks. And so the apostle Paul enters into a vow with some other Jewish believers to try to make peace. And it does not go well. Uh, he attempts to make peace. And yet as he's walking into the temple, they're like, there's that terrible guy. And they, they arrest him. They beat him. And a matter of fact, things get in such an uproar, uh, that the, the ruler, the governor, the local, uh, jurisdiction in town, Claudius Lysias, what an awesome name, freaks out because he finds out there's a riot breaking out and you can lose your life if you're a leader in the Roman Empire and a riot breaks out on your watch. So him and his soldiers go running down. They're like, what's going on? He really, if you remember from last week, he really wants to know what the what the craziness is all about. What what is going on? And so he he pulls the apostle Paul away from the crowd because they're going to kill him. And as they're pulling away, he finds out Paul speaks their common language. It's like, oh, I thought you were from Ethiopia. And Paul's like, nope, that's not me. And he asks for permission to speak to the crowd. And it says that a great hush went over this mob. And then he began to speak, and it says they got even quieter. So it was hushier than a hush. I don't know what that means. And he starts to tell them his story. And that's where we're going to pick back up in the text this morning. Verse number three of chapter 22. I want you to notice what he says. I am a Jew. And they said, oh, we are too. We know what that is. That's not in the text. I'm, I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. And they went, oh, yeah, we know where that is. But brought up here in this city. Oh, he's from here. What high school did you go to? Go Rams. Caught in the thicket. Maybe that would be their mask. I don't know. I just thought of that. I didn't filter that one first or like test drive it. It just came out. Educated to the feet of Gamaliel, who was like uh, the Harvard. That school would be like the Harvard of the day. And so they're like, ooh, la, la, right? According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, he's finding all this common, relatable, understandable ground with them. Everything he's saying, they're like, oh, yeah, okay. This makes sense. I can relate to this being zealous for God as all of you are continuing to build this common ground. And he confesses this. I persecuted this way, this movement that you're trying to kill me to stop. Guess what? I used to be a part of that. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison, both men and women. He starts off by saying, this is just who I am. I said last Sunday morning, the last thing I spoke uh, before we were done, as I said, there's nothing more powerful in all the world than your story, than your testimony. He starts off with, this is who I am. The reason I think that's important is I think the longer we've been a follower of Jesus, the worse we do at being normal and relatable and conversational, right? If you don't think that's true, you might be the really churchy person I'm talking about, (laughs) Right. We start talking about this this stuff and we use these big church words and people who are far from God are like, are you speaking English? I don't know what you're talking about. And I love that. He's like, no, listen, 
I, I'm, I'm normal. I'm just a human. This is my story. My life used to look this way. And then skip down to verse number six. I was on my way. I drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes on to say that, that his response to that was, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. So this is who I was. I was this ordinary, regular, relatable person, right, who was headed this direction. Then I met Jesus. He goes on to say this voice, Jesus speaking to me, tells me to go into Damascus to the house of a guy named Ananias. And that God would speak truth to me through this new brother. And he goes on to tell this crowd what Ananias told him. Ananias told me, he said, you will be, uh, sorry, verse 15, you will be a witness for him, for God, to everyone of what you've seen and heard. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. We just celebrated that. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Quick word of explanation, just so we're on the same page. Being baptized does not wash away your sin. Calling on his name washes away your sin. And we display that through modeling baptism, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus which is what saves us, which is what washes away our sin. I tell people all the time, when you get baptized, you do not get the rest of the way saved. You do not get your sins washed away. You do not get the Holy Spirit. You get wet because it's water. Baptism is not about what you get. It is about what you give. You give a testimony to what has washed away your sins. You give a declaration to the thing that has saved you. Unparenthesis back to the sermon already in progress. He tells the story. This is who I was. I met Jesus. My life is on a different mission now. That's your story, y'all. Literally, the, the before Jesus, met Jesus, after Jesus. Every one of us can give that story. And the reason I circle back to that this morning is because I want us to make some observations about God. And the first one is this. God has a purpose for us, for all of us. And that purpose is that he would reach other ordinary people through us. God uses ordinary people to reach ordinary people with the extraordinary gospel of grace. That's the plan. By the way, that's what we've been studying for 39 weeks. Like a whole book of Acts starts that way. Jesus tells his closest followers, go wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Here, there, and everywhere. You. He could have had another plan. He could have continued to stay on planet earth. He didn't have to ascend to the Father. He could have uh, sent voices from heaven. He actually did that a couple times in the book of Acts. That could have been the plan. But that was the exception, not the rule. The plan was, I'm going to place my spirit in people and place a calling on people to reach people with the story of Jesus. On that great day, the day of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit falls. There's tongues of fire. There's an earthquake. God was doing some extraordinary things. He could have been like, let me just explain to you all how to be saved, right? If God had the same control issues that I do, he'd have been like, okay, y'all are too new to this. Let me say it. And yet Peter gets up, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and speaks the gospel for the first time filled with the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people come to saving faith in Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, it's Peter and John who are going to the temple to pray. They see a man who's not taken a physical step in over 40 years. He uses people to reach people. We're not going to go through every chapter. That's just the ongoing pattern. That's the ongoing theme. Is God uses people to reach people. And guess what? That was my story too. I look back over 45 years of life. And in every little chapter of my story, I see a person or multiple persons that I believe were divinely, supernaturally placed in my life for my good. And I think that's your story too. Maybe you don't even notice the people who are in this chapter with you that God's placed there because God uses people to reach people. That's just what he does. And here's what that means. Skip Heitzig said, that means tomorrow could be the most exciting day of your life. Come on, somebody. If God uses people to reach people, then tomorrow could be the most exciting day of your life. I told that quote to Lance earlier, and he said, yeah, it could be the most exciting day in the life of the people that are in your life, too. And guess what? P.S. That means every tomorrow has the potential to be the most exciting day of your life. As long as Christ is still raised from the dead, then every tomorrow you step into has resurrection potential for the life of the people that you're doing life with. How great is that? As long as the gospel's still true, I don't walk into a single tomorrow that doesn't have holy potential in it for life change. Like death to life kind of life change. Which means there's not a single coworker you have. That's on accident. There's not a single neighbor you have. That's on accident. There's not a single loved one who was born in your family because that's just the gene pool. No, God's placed them in your orbit with holy purpose. God has a purpose for us that's bigger than us, that, that hangs over every day. This idea of, of our global missions emphasis and our global missions giving is, is we, listen, I think it's powerful, um, that, that there are radio ministries and television ministries. I, I think that's a great thing. I just think, the ordinary story is, no, God sent a person into somebody's life with flesh and blood, and they got to know them. And specifically, the reason we partner with organizations like Mana Worldwide, and the reason A Place of Hope is, is a part of our DNA, is Jesus walked in and saw physical pain. He entered into that, that, that physical need and began to meet that need so that he could introduce them to the rescue of their spiritual need. That's the model of Jesus. That, that purpose is a part of our story. If, if this year, if in the last 12 months, you've given $1 to global missions through this church, I believe you will share in the harvest in the day that is to come. You'll get to meet somebody who will say, .0001 cents got divided out and was used by God to rescue my soul. How cool is that? God has a purpose for us. Tomorrow could be the most exciting day of your life. God has a purpose for us. He continues to talk, um, sharing just his story of how God called him. And the last thing that Paul says as he's given his testimony is in verse number 21. 
Speaking of God, he says, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, what word? Gentiles. Up until this word, they listened to him. They so listened to him that there was a great hushier that was hushier than hush. That's how listening they were. But up to this word, they listened and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Because he said the G word. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it's probably you. A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. He's speaking in this moment to a traditional Jewish audience. And he says, God sent me for everybody. And they lost their minds. And here's the beauty. The lesson to learn about them. Oh, they were racist. Moving on. I want to learn about God this morning. We serve a God who pursues us. He is chasing after us, regardless of which side of the tracks we grew up on or if we knew where the tracks were in our town. Regardless of our culture, our ethnicity, our educational status, regardless of how much money we have in the bank, the common denominator of every human being who's ever drawn a breath is that there's a holy God in pursuit of our souls. He pursues us. It's a beautiful thing. The Apostle Paul used to understand this. No, no, no. God's only for me and my people. By the way, you understand, right, that racism is not an American problem. We we are not that important. We didn't create this problem. It has existed in every culture in the history of humankind because we are fallen, we are broken, and we are self-centered. But there is this something greater than our culture, and that's the love of Jesus Christ that has been on an eternal, humanity-long mission to rescue from every tribe, every language, every nation, and every people, a people for himself. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He pursues us. Again, the the reason that we we partner with these missionaries around the world is because I'm not called to necessarily go live in that place. But I think somebody with flesh and blood should exist in their culture and learn their language and learn their ways. And I'll go if he sends me. I'll go tomorrow if he sends me, I believe, as as much as I can know my heart. But here's the deal. I want to help the people get there that he has called. His God's pursuing a people for himself. He always has been, and he always will be. There is record of ancient Jewish writings that, that say that the reason God created such a thing as Gentiles is to, quote, kindle the fires of hell, unquote. This belief system that Gentiles were for nothing better than kindling. For the fires of hell. And the reality is this. The reason God created Gentiles and Jewish men and women is the same reason he created you. And that's so that he could have a relationship with you that he would glorify himself in. He loves humankind and is on a mission to reach them. They are so enraged, the Apostle Paul, for saying the G word that they grab him. And begin to flog him. Interestingly, if you remember, he's in the city of Jerusalem. This is probably the same site of the beating and flogging that Jesus endured before he went to Golgotha. The Apostle Paul looks over at that tribune, that governor, Claudius Lysias, and he said, 
You know it's against the law to beat a Roman person. Claudius Lysias, the poor guy, is just so confused. He's like, what is going on? He says, wait a second, I, I purchased a Roman citizenship. It cost me a lot of money. Apostle Paul says, no, I was born a Roman city, uh, citizen. And all of a sudden he goes, don't. That's not in the text. <laughs> Verse 29, those who were, who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized Paul's a Roman citizen. He had bound him. What have I done? I can't get any information about this guy. Verse 30. On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, this guy went so bad to know the story. I just feel bad for him. Like, somebody give him a Bible. Anyways, um, he, the Bible didn't, New Testament did not, okay, okay. Just making sure. He unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. Brought Paul down, set him before them, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, pause. Again, we talked about the flogging might have been the same site. This is, he's appearing before the Sanhedrin. This is the same piece of real estate where Jesus had a mock trial in the dark of night that condemned him to death. He's appearing before the Sanhedrin. And what he says is so interesting uh, we won't spend a ton of time here, but I, this just needs to be... I, the Holy Spirit won't let us not pause here. I wanted to cut this point for sake of time, but we're not. So this is for somebody. So listen if it's you. He said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Pause again. You just said you tried to murder Christians. And you've lived with a good conscience. Is that confusing to anybody? We're going to circle back to it in a minute. Verse 2, the high priest Ananias, different Ananias than the one who was in Damascus. Just in case you were curious, this is the high priest Ananias. He commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Straight up, Will Smith. That is the second reference in this sermon series to the Oscar slap. Okay, um, if we're keeping score. Verse 3. Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I love when he's just kind of cautious and, you know, minces his words, you know. It's so awesome. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? You big jerk. Verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? I thought you said you honored the law. You're not allowed to speak against the law. In verse 5, Paul said, I did not know that he was the high priest. It's written, you should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now here's, how, how would he not know that? That's a weird statement. Um, and so if, if you... Want to go down the rabbit hole and start studying what, why, why would scholars say he didn't know? What does that mean? Number one, it could just be the truth. Somehow, confusingly, maybe Paul just didn't know. It's equally believable, theory number two, that Paul was a smart aleck a lot in his writings. And so he might have been like, oh, you're so unhigh priestly that I didn't know you were the high priest. 
Mr. Slap-a-Lot, right? Like, <laughs> it's possible that that was sarcasm. It's also possible that he didn't recognize him because we believe that the Apostle Paul had bad eyesight. Um, so it might truly be like, no, when it says he looked at them intently, maybe he was squinting, <laughs> you know, like, we, we don't know for sure. Either way, he acknowledges, I'm not supposed to talk that way to the high priest. He talks about his conscience, and then we watch it in action. That's the part that I think is noteworthy today. At least 23 times in the writings of Paul, he talks about his conscience. For a guy who had such radical life change, he, he was almost, he was very concerned with the state of his conscience. And the observation I would make about God is, is that God is purifying us. We serve a God who not just has this purpose for us and this pursuit of us. He's in this mission to purify us, to, to sanctify us, to, to correct us. And one of the main ways that God purifies his people is through the internal work of the Holy Spirit that we call the conscience. Sometimes people will tell me, I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. Hey, you probably have. If you've ever gone, I don't think I should do that. That probably wasn't you. That's probably the Holy Spirit. Not the little cricket on your shoulder who was like, you know, don't do that. Be nice. That's that's the conscience that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through. And, And the reason I feel compelled to pause here, my conscience compels me to pause on this part of the story, is I just wonder if there's somebody in this room who's battling their conscience. That there's something from your past that that your conscience is telling you that you need to make right or a decision that you're facing right now, that that you're going down a road that is harmful for you. And I just want to pause here and implore you, please listen to the conscience that God has placed within you. It just might save your life. It just might save your marriage. It just might save your reputation. It just might save the glory of God in your life. Listen to that little voice. Talk to somebody about what that struggle is. Please don't ignore it. Please don't run from it. Because God's on a mission to set us free, to purify us through the work of the Spirit in us. The Apostle Paul, next in the story, begins to notice that, as per usual, the Sanhedrin is composed of both Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks up and goes, hey, I believe in the authority of the resurrection. And they all lose their minds. They start fighting like crazy with one another. Interestingly, several of the scribes of the Pharisees speak up and go, I find nothing wrong with this man. You just said he did not deserve to live. But as soon as he aligned with you, you were like, never mind, he's one of the good guys. This is just amazing how fickle we are, right? And it, it gets so wound up. Man, poor Claudius Lysias is like, here we go again. People are screaming. I want to know what this is all about. Verse 10. When the dissension became violent, the tribune, Claudius Lysias, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. And then I want you to see what happens next. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, 
as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you'll also testify to me in Rome. Here's the point I want to say, and I've got to speed up because we're almost out of time. Here's what I believe about God. I believe he has a purpose for us. I believe he pursues us. I believe he is purifying us through the work of our conscience. And I believe we serve a God who is present with us. Up to this point, the lowest times we've seen in the life of the Apostle Paul, this same language is used, that the Lord came near or was, was close to him. We're going to see that again in chapter 27 when he's out in a storm on a ship. The presence of God. We sang this morning a lot about freedom. Who the sun sets free is free. And where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. Here's the thing. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Jerusalem. In the same prison that Peter was in back in chapter 12. Where the angel of the Lord showed up. Made his chains fall off. Made the gate swing open. And set him free. In chapter 12, Peter experienced salvation from the prison. And in chapter 23, Paul experienced strength in the prison. And the same God was present both times. Sometimes he's going to set us free and sometimes he's going to get us through. We usually prefer the first, not the second. I don't want to get through this. I want to get out of this. But the presence of God sometimes saves us out of it, and sometimes he strengthens us to endure it. God was present in both. He was good in both. He had a good plan for both. God is present for some of you. God is present with you in your pain and you're frustrated that he's not delivered you out of it. And I'm just telling you, sometimes living in a broken world means he's going to be with us to endure the hardship. Doesn't mean he loves you less. Doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. His presence is enough. And quickly for sake of time, the the story goes on to tell us that, well, I I want us to look at it, verse Verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath to neither eat nor drink till they'd kill Paul. And look at this number. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. The story gets weird. We find out that Paul's nephew gets word of this. We've never heard anything ever in the scriptures about Paul's family. And all of a sudden he has a sister and she has a son. And we're supposed to act like that was normal. I don't know where this came from. We have no idea. He goes and tells Claudius Lysias about this plot to kill Paul. In verse 23, I want you to see this. He called two of the centurions. Claudius Lysias calls two of the centurions and says, get ready, 200 soldiers. Centurion is a soldier who was over 100 soldiers. Century. Centurion. He's like, get your people. But get more than that. With 70 horsemen... And more than that, get 200 spearmen. So think of the movies you've seen that have the big giant shields with the big heavy spears. Those guys. The, the, perhaps the greatest military in the history of recorded humanity. And he's like, hey, there's 40 people who are out to get Paul. So I want 200 soldiers 
70 horse soldiers, 200 spear soldiers. P.S. Get a horse for Paul, too. We're going to go at the dark of night, 9 o'clock at night. And we're going to get him to safety. And, and interestingly, he sends him to Caesarea with this letter to Felix. We're going to meet Felix next week. Interesting story. I just want you to see the end of this chapter, verse 35. Felix's response is, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium, which is a synonym for palace. <laughs> Forty people are out to get him. And, and, and here's the last observation about our God. God protects us. He protects us. He did not deliver him from, from bondage. He's still a prisoner. But I love how cartoonish it is. Forty people are having a conversation in the dark of night. And God's like, I got this. His nephew, Paul's nephew, never appears on the pages of Scripture again. I don't think he found out about this threat by accident. We serve a God who's at work to protect his people because he has a purpose for us. The interesting thing about the plot to kill Paul, I want you to hear me for just a second. We're almost done. And, and, and hear me. Based on how we read this text, the Apostle Paul had no idea there was a plot to end his life. Based on how we read this text, he had no idea that his nephew found out about the plot. He didn't know how Claudius Lysias was going to respond to the news about the plot. He had no idea what was going to happen to him. He had nothing except for the presence of God. <laughs> and I just wonder if he was sitting up on that horse surrounded by some of the greatest military men who'd ever lived going, oh, I think God's got me. And I'm just here to tell you, it might not be that dramatic. It might not be that visible. As a matter of fact, if 470 Roman soldiers show up at your house today, please call me. But I'm telling you, God is no less present in your pain today. He is no less at work to protect you and to guard you and to protect the mission that he has on your life and the purpose that he has for you. That's not just what Paul uh, experienced in that moment in the story from God. That's who God is. He is a present God. He is a protecting God. In our little church family, we've experienced some tough news in the last few days. Some of you have have gotten news about your own health or the health of a loved one. There's quite a few families represented in this room right now who've said, I'm in a tough spot this morning. And I just want to tell you, as real as Luke was taking notes about the life of Paul, we serve a God who's present with you today. He is protecting you today. He is for you today. Because the purpose he has for you, hell itself can't stop that. No diagnosis can stop that. No job loss can stop that. He's up to something. So I just want to encourage you. He's present. That's the final thought I want to give this morning is this. When people sit down with me over a cup of coffee and start to tell me what's going on in their heart, I seldom have conversations when life is good with people. <laughs> Usually it's when something rough is going on. And, and typically that conversation goes like this. That, that person sitting across from me is very articulate and detailed about their struggle. A lot of details about the difficulty. 
Then they'll give me a lot of diff- uh, details, rather, about the people who are around them. Good or bad, this person's in my corner, this person isn't, this person's out to get me, this person is a great friend. They're really detailed about their situation and about the people around them. And then they're always articulate, tend to be articulate, about how they feel about all of that. We tend to be really aware of our our situation, our surroundings, whether people are for us or against us. We tend to be really aware of whether we think we got this or not. This morning I would just submit to you, we need to be far more aware of who our God is and will be and is unstoppable to be in every moment than we do our situation or our surroundings or our friends or how we feel about ourselves. There's a focus that builds unshakable faith no matter what we're walking into. And that focus is who is our God? Not what's my situation, not what's my friend group look like, not do I believe in me. Who is our God today? Because I believe he's present and I believe he's at work for your good.